Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome. This is Carl's Roller Coaster Podcast. Hello, dear friends. Welcome back. Welcome back to the roller coaster. It's with great pleasure that I bring to you all today Rude Jolie, guitarist, lead guitarist of the symphonic metal band Within Temptation, of which I had the pleasure to tour with last year throughout Europe playing arenas. It was an amazing experience. And Rude, he has his own project for all we know. And he's also the guitarist and acoustic guitar player on Maiden United, which is an Iron Maiden acoustic project. But obviously his main gig is Within Temptation, which is a band that has been growing steadily for, uh, for the last few years. And it just reached that level of arena here in Europe. And yeah, he's a great dude. I had an amazing conversation with him and I hope you all will enjoy it. With you all, Mr. Rude Jolie. Hello, Rude, my friend. How are you doing? Hello, hello, hello. I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Good stuff. Right. It's great. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Uh, it's good to, to have you on, on the roller coaster. Thanks for, for taking the time for you know uh, being a guest on this uh, new venture of mine. Uh, just uh, launched a few weeks ago, and um, it's been overwhelmingly. Uh, great so far. So thank you for 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 your time, for taking the time today to talk to me. Um, last time we saw each other, and when we actually met each other was uh, during last year's fall European tour that we did together, and that was very very pleasant. I'm sure we're gonna talk about that uh, later on the road. But but welcome to the roller coaster route. Thank thanks for being here, mate. Thank you for having me. I uh, I feel honored to be uh, you know one of your first guests. So that's great. Good stuff, good stuff. So, uh, how's how's things in in the Netherlands? What what are you currently up to? You guys, you guys doing shows during the summer? Well, what's happening at the moment? Well, on a on a personal level, a lot of stuff is happening because I had a lightning strike in my chimney last week. Oh my goodness! Yeah, before the recording started, we were talking a little bit about the weather, you know, as, as people tend to do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the, the weather here last week was terrible, was really terrible. And usually I'm not that uh, afraid of, of lightning and thunder and, and bad weather. I usually think it's cozy because uh, I was actually uh, at home uh, downstairs lying on my couch reading a book and thinking, oh, it's so nice and warm and cozy with my cats, you know, on on on, uh, on my couch. And oh, hear that thunder! Oh, so nice. And uh, you know, quarter past midnight, I heard a huge, a little super loud bang. All the power went out. I was, uh, you know, it was pitch dark. And that's when I saw, after a while though, that uh, yeah, I had a lightning strike in my chimney and it ricocheted on my roof. So uh, pretty much the whole ceiling in my attic came down. Hold and uh, yeah, it was pretty terrible. And especially if you, if you, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I used to collect a lot of of the vintage stuff, so from 1977 to uh, 85, that uh, that period. And I keep most of my uh, of those prized possessions in my attic. 
so because it's not really an attic it's like a room but it's uh, in my attic uh, where my attic used to be so uh, yeah half of the ceiling was on top of my toys oh so my that, goodness uh, but then what, what happened did any of the toys did any of your collectibles got um it's a miracle. Nothing happened, oh. except for maybe one uh, stormtrooper helmet that I have. But uh, yeah, it's not that bad. Let, let's let's uh, call it a battle scar. Oh <laughs> my goodness! But that's great to hear it because uh, yeah, I I like to collect a few things. I used to be a big uh, Iron Maiden collector many many mm. years ago. Uh, back at my parents' house in Brazil, I have a huge huge Iron Maiden collection, but I stopped collecting. Um, yeah. years and years and years ago but uh, but I do understand what is to what is yeah, it like to have yes <laughs> yeah. are you the kind yeah. of person that goes on eBay and keep like you know following auditions about uh, auditions auctions about um, specific items that they want to to purchase especially old stuff like you mentioned they collect stuff from from the 70s that's amazing yeah, i used to do that but not that much anymore since i've adopted a little bit of a different life philosophy um you know i watched this this documentary uh, two years ago minimalism mm -hmm. Min meaningful life it's on netflix and for some reason that uh, that resonated a lot with me and that uh, really struck something in 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 me as a person i i immediately understood what was wrong with me <laughs> one of the things that was wrong with me though but uh, and since then i've been downgrading my uh, my collection and pretty much all of my possessions as a matter of fact i uh, there was just a, a half an hour ago a woman here to pick up one of my tvs i had a huge tv in my bedroom but i almost never used it and it's still way too much crap and stuff and clutter and um, that's very interesting because I, I I know the, the the documentary you're talking about I have never watched it but I've heard many good things about it and now mm -hmm. that you mention it I'm, I'm, I'm making a note here uh, are definitely gonna be it's definitely gonna be uh, something I'm gonna be watching on the on, on the coming days because uh, I mean two points that I'd like to raise I've I haven't watched it but just the idea of it and and thinking about it sometimes makes me me, me wonder and me, and think like I myself for example I collect uh, I like collecting T-shirts from tours from bands that I get on the road and 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 not only that but like I'm involved with craft uh, craft beer as well so uh, when I get a T-shirt from a brewery that uh, means something to me or or even my running gear for from specific races I keep those even though I don't wear them so basically like at home here in London I have suitcases filled up with t-shirts like proper suitcases yeah. uh, in Brazil I have even more and it's like it's stuff that I will I mean in at the back of my mind I always think that one day I'll have one room in the house where I'm gonna have all of it uh, uh, on display but but that's that's been going for a while and it hasn't happened so uh, with that in mind I mean how difficult it is for you to kind of like, for example, you've been collecting, like you mentioned, uh, 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 Star Wars uh, uh, artifacts and things for a long time, and mo and so some of those things they might they, they probably mean quite a lot to you, you know, for whatever various reasons. How hard has it been for you to kind of like, if you have, because I don't know if you actually have started, maybe I, I don't know, reselling them or or, or, or giving them away? What's been going on on that front? 
Yeah, well, let me first of all let me tell you that I'm absolutely not an expert on the whole minimalism subject, and on the other hand, there are no rules for that. It's uh, it's different for everyone. But what I have noticed is that, um, you know, I, I feel that once you take away some of the items that don't mean that much to you, the items that do mean a lot to you get more spotlight, so to speak, you know, mm -hmm. um, and they start to become even nicer and even better. And, and, and because, and, and even though th this is a typical example of less is more in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I used to have a lot of shit. Is it allowed to say the word shit on this uh, podcast? Yes, you can say anything you want, my friend. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's a plus 18 podcast. <laughs> well, let's do that first then. <laughs> no, but uh, uh, seriously, you know, I've, I've started uh, selling stuff. Yeah, definitely. And uh, other things like books I've been uh, donating and other stuff like, yeah, and, and clothes I've been donating. But stuff that has been in my kitchen drawers, I've been just throwing it away. And uh, it, it's interesting that I had a, a fun conversation with someone a um, couple of months ago. We were talking about uh, how many uh, pairs of scissors that a person needs. And I have two pairs of scissors, one big pair and one small pair. And then uh, how many pens do I have? I don't know, maybe five, because sometimes, or uh, uh, pens is usually something that you buy in bulk. You know, you have these boxes with 30 pens, and then there are pens all over the fucking place. Mm -hmm. And then the guy said, yeah, but I always want more scissors because in case I don't want, I can find them. And then I said, yeah, but that's maybe because there are 30 pens on top of it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's, it's a different uh, mindset. But but for me, it, it really works. Um, I, uh, I have, uh, and I'm still in the process of doing it. Amazing. And maybe... Um, like half a year ago, I sold this old uh, guitar amp that I had from when I was still studying jazz at the conservatory. Mm -hmm. And it was in my attic. And as a matter of fact, it had moved from the attic in my former house to this house. And I've been living in this house for almost 11 years. And I came across that amp and I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to sell it. And uh, I was cleaning it and I was testing it because the next day this guy was going to visit me to buy it. And that... At that moment, I thought, oh, damn it, this is a great amp. I was playing on my Telecaster, and it had a really nice jazz tone. And uh, But I you know, I promised to that guy that I would sell it. So I knew that I would instantly regret it, which mm -hmm. I did. And, uh, you know, therefore, I bought uh, pretty much the same <laughs> months ago. So, But that has only been the first time that I have really regretted it, I think. So, uh, yeah, yeah how, 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 like what's your approach in terms of uh, yeah uh, that's that's a good example you just gave but but how how have you been approaching uh, the the minimalism in in regards of your personal personal gear because as every as a guitarist and as a musician but like as a guitarist specifically you we we all know that guitarists. Uh, love buying guitars, you know, and having all sorts of different types of guitar. So how how, how is that going for you? Did you did you notice that you've been uh, purchasing or asking your uh, endorser to send you less guitars? It's uh, is it something that you you notice a difference on your behavior towards that as well, or is it something that you just you just didn't notice any difference? 
No, that, that's a very good question. Uh, I have uh, I have sold some stuff. I had some, uh, uh, you know, mixing controllers that I actually didn't use anymore. I sold uh, some microphones, some preamps, and it's with those kind of things. It's always a little bit dangerous to think. Yeah, but maybe one day I will have this producing job or this recording job that I might need those microphones. But if I was really honest, and I was honest, I hadn't used them for three years. And, you know, worst case scenario, I can always borrow them from someone. But, um, and that's also something that, that I was talking uh, to someone about. I really like the, you know, there are some musicians, Steve Harris, for instance, mm. um, Apparently he has he still uses the same bass guitar that he, that he has been using for ages, mm-hmm. and there are many guitar players who who have their to go to guitar if you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. of course they have backups, but they usually just have their one favorite guitar that they can do any everything with. And I find that 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 is such a romantic idea that you know a guy and his guitar. Mm-hmm. And it becomes that trademark as well. Uh, like you yeah, get, you definitely. get, you get, you get Brian May from Queen. You know that guitar. Oh, that very good example. You know yeah. he 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 used that guitar forever, and he made the guitar himself back yeah, in the day. Um, as Steve Harris, uh, it became his trademark. I mean, it's quite. Uh, I mean, unimaginable seeing that guy playing live without using his uh, precision Fender precision bass white yeah. with the. You know, mirror mirrored background and the yeah. West Ham sticker on it. You know, yeah. you, you, if you see him p- playing with another bass, it's just uh, you would you would immediately notice the, the 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 that he's not you know playing with his bass, and and that's true because as far as I know, he records with that bass. He plays live with the bass, and yeah. and yeah. Um, I'm sure he's got plenty of others at home to mm-hmm. fool around mm-hmm. with. But but then again, this is just a guess. This is just a, an assumption. He might not even have that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he does. But uh, yeah, and and I've been told that even that white one that you just described with the West Ham uh, sticker, that that's the old blue one that he used uh, on, for instance, the Live After Death. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I've heard about that. Um, yeah. And I'm not entirely sure if that's uh, if that's. True. I don't know about that, but but I've heard the story as well. I did hear the story. Um, I think he still has actually the blue. I think that blue is still exists. But then, yeah, who knows? I'm gonna have to have him on the podcast at some point to answer that question, perhaps. Would be very interesting. <laughs> so tell me what's uh, just literally last night. I was. Um, doing my my preparation for for our conversation and i came across um your your solo project um and and i was listening to it uh we are all we know am i correct for all we know for all we know sorry for all we know exactly and um I mean, that started a few years ago and i think the album was released well back in 2007 and uh, the, um, no, the first one was released in 2011. Right. And the last one was released two years ago. Oh, okay, okay, right. Yeah. Um, and have you ever done anything like? I mean, when it comes to like, um, obviously your main band, the band you've been working with since uh, 2001, I believe you joined Weaving yep. Temptation, right? 
correct. You, when when it comes to your solo project, do you like? Um, I listened to it and I really, really enjoyed it. It's, it's more guitar orientated as you would expect. Uh, yeah. But uh, I really, really enjoyed the music. And do you, have you ever toured with that? Is there anything that you ever like tried to, to take to the road or? or well let me let me explain to you why i started that project um, mm. you know i have record i'm i'm a session player i i'm a session guitarist um so that means that i have recorded a lot of albums and uh, some of them have been uh, extremely successful like uh, the the within temptation ones and i'm proud of each and every album that i record but uh, back before i started this project i wanted to have the idea the the you know that, the day that I would be on my deathbed, maybe in 40 years, hopefully, uh, I wanted to have at least one CD in my hands that I made myself, you know, that I wrote the music for, that I produced, that I made pretty much all the musical decisions on. Mm -hmm. And that was my primary goal. My secondary goal was since I financed that whole project myself, my secondary goal was that I would at least, you know, make make some money back on it so that it in the end would have only cost me time and calories as if <laughs> and because you know we all know that these days you don't make any money with music anymore and and let me get this straight that was absolutely not my first intention but i just wanted to have an album that i was even more proud of than all the, all the other stuff that i did mm -hmm. um, and i released the first one in 2011 and you know, a couple of years later, I, I decided to make another one just for fun. Um, and I have done uh, three live gigs last year, only three, because, you know, it's it's really hard to, to plan uh, those those live gigs. And, yeah, it, it's, it has never been my intention to make a whole new yeah, product out mm -hmm. of this uh, this project. So, um, but I really wanted to, uh, to play it live uh, once. So I did three gigs here in the Netherlands, and um, you know maybe when when uh, things are getting a little bit slower with within temptation again, I might uh, I might pick it up. I don't know. I have Fair enough. I have enough material to uh, to do gigs. So I, that's uh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, with within temptation, things uh, uh, have have been just phenomenal. Like um, I remember many years ago seeing them supporting i think it was iron maiden 2008 in london oh, twickenham stadium. stadium exactly oh, yes that's cool. right cool. and i was there yeah i was there it was my first year uh when i moved to london and i saw the show i think uh, avenged sevenfold was on the bill as well and uh, i remember seeing the oh. band live and um but at that time the band wasn't uh, uh as far as i can remember it wasn't uh as big as it is currently i mean i think the band has gone to a completely different level you know and having experienced uh the tour uh, uh that i was that i did with you guys last year with ego kill talent uh, i was extremely impressed by the whole production the whole team around the band and and obviously the crowds you know the crowds were unbelievable i mean the shows were like literally like massive every single show. I remember Paris, I think it was like 9,000 people or something. It was just, mm. I mean, uh, in Amsterdam, two big uh, uh, sold out nights for like 6,000 people strong each night. 
and and that's like you know when when you realize that hard work pays off because I don't think it has always been the case right like when you joined the band 2001 did you guys uh, uh, um, had a clear vision that this that the, the you guys would were headed towards what basically what the band is at now or what was the what was the mojo in the band what was what, what was happening at the time and what was the ambition at the time if you can remember yeah well I, I joined in 2001 and that was when the Ice Queen single had just been released here in the Netherlands from the Mother Earth album and three weeks after I joined uh, it became a huge success on uh, on uh, radio and TV because we had this uh, crappy video so I tend to think that uh, I am the sole reason why we are <laughs> successful these days. Amazing. <laughs> and of course, of course, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I, you know, that that's one of those things. Uh, being at the right time, at the right place, um, and back then, it's it's 18 years ago. That kind of music wasn't that common, especially not uh, on the mainstream radio here in the Netherlands. Of course, you had. Nightwish from Finland, they were doing, you know, something similar, and there were some Dutch bands as well. They started to emerge after that, I think. But especially for the mainstream people here in the Netherlands, it was a completely new sound, and I think that that uh, contributed to the success here in the Netherlands uh, in the mainstream because we were we were very mainstream back then. We had, uh, you know, number two radio hit. And I think that that uh, got the attention from a record company in Germany, Gun Records, and they put us, they re-released the Mother Earth album, and they sent us out on our very first European tour as a support for uh, for Paradise Lost, and that was in 2003, I think. And from there on, you know, it it kept on growing, and I I tend to believe that it's still growing. A little bit, of course, not as hard as it used to be, but you know, it, it's ridiculous. You know, we're uh, headlining the Grand Pop Festival next week in uh, in Belgium. Wow, that's uh, that's like a pretty big deal mm -hmm. uh, because it's it's our fifth, sixth, or seventh time playing there. But we still climb uh, the bill higher and higher every year. Now we now we uh, headline the Friday, so that's uh, yeah, that's amazing. That's really cool. <laughs> and yeah, and to, and to answer your question, no, we never expected that because you know we. Well, I can only talk for myself, but can only speak for myself. But I thought that uh, yeah, you know, we do one or two festival runs, and then we do another album, and then you know maybe we do the same kind of venues, the same sizes. Maybe we do them smaller, but. Yeah, like I said, it it has been growing since then. What do you think? What do you think is because um, uh, we obviously being involved on the music business, uh, we know that uh, it takes a lot more than just you know uh, the talent, the great music, the great uh, um, say packaging for for the group, the right image, and uh, and the the artistic side of things. Obviously, they have to be great and innovative in a way but uh, but there is a big side of 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 how bands and and, and artists in general end up uh, uh, growing their following as per se uh, there is obviously always uh, um, management behind there's label there's a label behind it there's always like people uh, on the background 
you know, putting uh, uh, your work um, on different places and then and then eventually getting you on the right tour and then eventually getting you the right spot, the right festival. And then because of your, you know, because of the art that you're making, people start following you and then you become, then you, you know, raise your profile, you get a bigger following and then eventually you're doing bigger shows. Mm -hmm. And how was that process from 2001 and then, like you said, between 2001 and 2003, were you guys just playing in the Netherlands where the band was, like you said, uh, had the heat on the radio, was on MTV, and then before going on the first European tour with Paradise Lost, and then the following of that, when was the moment that, do you, do you recollect, when was the first time uh, you guys did a headlining tour in Europe? Yeah, that was with the following album that was uh, The Silent Force that was released in 2004. And uh, that was the first time that we did a European tour on our own. And uh, obviously the venues were much smaller than, than, than the ones we do now. But nevertheless, for us, it was the first time headlining Europe. And that was a huge deal. And, um, you know, there are not that many famous Dutch bands. So the thing that we were doing back then, even though the venues weren't that big, it was still unique for a Dutch band to, to do a European tour and headline shows. So for us, it was already like, oh, you know, we have arrived, you know, this mm -hmm. is great. And um, even though that we weren't making that much money with it yet, because in the beginning, uh, a lot of money uh, was, uh, was reinvested in... Uh, you know, in in, Absolutely. in a new video, in stage props, and because the thing that that the band has always done is uh, try to make it not even not only an uh, an audible experience, but also a visual experience. Because mm -hmm. we, you know, we have talked about Iron Maiden, uh, but that that's one of our um, examples. You know, to to and and you know, bands like Rammstein. Um, it, it's not in that sense. It's not a miracle that they play in front of so many people. And I always say that the, that those people aren't all heavy metal fans, but they like and to be entertained. Also, a band like Ghost, you mm -hmm. know, they play. Uh, they they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but uh, what I'm trying to say is that even my uh, aunt or my neighbor has a has a really great time during a Rammstein concert even though that he or she doesn't like the music but they will be entertained and that's something that we've all also tried to achieve uh, and i'm not saying that we are just as big as iron Maiden or, or, or rammstein in that sense but we've always uh, tried to add a little bit more than just the music to the whole experience of, a, of one of our concerts at the time do you remember if uh, on on the first european tour like you said um uh, I think my I'm gonna go back to my previous question because I end up like uh, making several questions in in uh, uh, in the middle of just the one. But uh, do you remember back uh, on the first headlining tour, uh, the band reinvesting money? But at that time, uh, how was it for you personally? To were you being able to okay now? Um, I can. When was the moment that you started to literally okay? I I, I can make now a decent living. Uh, just out of the band was was did that happen during the first tour? Or is it something that came along down the road? Yeah, it came along down the road. I have always been teaching, 
Um, and as a matter of fact, I still teach every Monday and Tuesday. Now it's more out of uh, the love for the for the job because right now we don't need any uh, any day jobs anymore for the time being. Um, not that we're millionaires, but for now, it, the, you know, the, the income of just the playing is enough. Um, I don't know how it will be in ten years, but that's that's we'll deal uh, we'll cross that bridge then. But um, in the past, yeah, I've always been teaching two or three days a week. Um, also, you know, to supplement my income of the band, but also because you know, the music industry industry is 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 it, that it's not a secure job. You know, it can be over tomorrow, mm -hmm. or and that's why. And I had a good position. I had a good teaching position, which I didn't want to give up. Um, and you know, most important of all, I really liked it because if I wouldn't have liked it, I wouldn't have done it. I think because I really like teaching and I still do like teaching. So uh, for me, that was a yeah perfect thing. And and the thing is that you know that sometimes we don't tour for a year. And uh, yeah, why would I need to sit on my couch for seven days a week if I can teach two days and still have five days a week of uh, Netflix time <laughs> or whatever? For sure. That do you think that that's something uh, like? Because um, yeah, I, I agree one hundred percent. It just sounds like that um, uh, you you are very uh, uh, grounded and 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 responsible to a certain extent. Um, and some people, but some people ca could perhaps just get uh, um, overexcited or overwhelmed uh, with the fact that you know what I will just do that, sit on my couch or go partying and just enjoy life. Um, yeah. But do you think this is something that uh, comes perhaps from your upbringing, from family, um, or wh wh where would you, who would you, if if anybody or anything? Uh, who would you uh, 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 give credit to the fact that um, that you that, that you understand literally, you know, like you just said, there's no guarantees on this industry. Do you think it's something that uh, was always with you, or maybe throughout the years and uh, and obviously the ups and downs of this industry that you've been on it for so many years now? What would yeah. you attribute the fact that you understand and see it very clearly, just like you you put it just a yeah. minute ago? Well, I think that the Dutch people are, uh, as a, as a, you know, as a, as a group of people, pretty down to earth. I think, of course, there are exceptions because we all know the examples of of the overnight successful people who uh, buy a nice car and a big house and having to sell it four years later. You know, we all know those. Uh, we all have examples of that. But I think that in general, as a people, the Dutch are pretty down to earth. And uh, yeah, it's also my upbringing. You know, my dad. He, uh, my dad has worked in the factory for more than 40 years, so we never had a lot of money. Uh, I, I, we weren't poor or anything. I, uh, I, uh, there's nothing that I, uh, how do you say that? Um, they missed I have it. any shortcomings or whatever mm -hmm. in that sense. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, that I was being raised with uh, some kind of responsibility for my. Yeah, and, and also when I decided to try it out, to try to become a professional musician, to live with music, both my parents, they were a little bit uh, apprehensive, a little bit hesitant, like, mm, are you sure? Because it's very difficult, and, you know, it's very difficult to make a living. Uh, shouldn't you have uh, uh, like a plan B or whatever? And 
after high school, I studied uh, something else for a little bit, just to have a degree in, in something that I could fall back to. But I didn't finish that because I was sick of it and I wanted to make music. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I decided, okay, I'm going to uh, study at the conservatory. And of course, back then, my parents were completely fine with that because they knew that I had a vision and they knew what I wanted to do with my life. Because before that time, I was already studying guitar every every spare moment of my day you know the weekends the whole day summer holidays the whole summer holiday and that that's the only thing that i w that i wanted to do back mm -hmm. then amazing when was the first time what was the first um what was the first like uh do, do, well actually uh instead of i was going to ask when was it and what was the first uh like rock or metal concert that you, that you've attended and 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 that I, w i would like to know as well but uh what, do you have a moment on your life that you listen to an album or you've listened to a song and that was something that you were like oh my god what is this i need to learn what this is and, and need to listen to more of it and then eventually basically put you on the direction of where your life is at because i myself you know uh, i can remember when i was 10 years old and a friend just showed me uh, this iron maiden record And from that moment onwards, my life just changed. And it's funny to think that, looking back in in retrospective, and thinking that if that day, if that day uh, uh, never happened, if I haven't listened to the song that I've listened on that particular day, uh, I could have maybe turned into have made a completely different, you know, have taken a completely different path. In life because I most certainly don't come from a background where uh, my parents were very supportive in terms of uh, pursuing a career in music because of obvious reasons just like you mentioned you know it's not it's a very difficult one and parents uh, uh, especially you know uh, um, Uh, the, the 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 generation before us and then the generation before you know a lot of people coming from uh, uh, I have a, an European background even though I was born in Brazil my background is totally European my mom's side of the family is Spanish and my dad's side of the family is Italian hence why I always had a dual citizenship and now I have triple citizenship Brazilian Italian and British but um, but they were always very like uh, you know you have to chose what's uh what, you know what everybody normally would choose to have uh, you know what they had in mind as being a safe life going to university studying i know journalism or law or going to medical school because back then you know back in the 50s in the 60s and 70s if you had a degree on those uh it was almost guaranteed that you would uh become a successful professional on that field of work but with all that in mind Do you recollect anything that you say, okay, that, you know, when, you know, that struck a chord on me and uh, made me, you know, persuade the things that uh, I persuaded in life? Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I have a question for you, just, just of course. out of interest. Which, uh, which album was it? Which Iron Maiden album? Uh, was it, was, it was the, a real live one. And it was Fear of the Dark live, and I even remember it was recorded. Uh, the, the, it was recorded in Helsinki, Finland. That version. Okay. It was that one, yeah. That, so Fear of the Dark was uh, was something that for me it, it was a game changer. I was listening uh, at the time already a lot to Michael Jackson. It was a big, you know, big thing for me. Michael Jackson, Guns and Roses was just at the time that. Uh, both uh, Use Your Illusion albums were out, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and yeah. obviously the Black Album, Metallica's yeah, Black Album. To say that. Yeah, yeah. So that was the moment that I was literally 10, 11, and all of those things were like, 
you know and then obviously we had MTV so then the grunge came and uh, I mean it was, it was it was a good time because music I mean you would just put on MTV and you would go to record stores you would listen to music and then you would talk to your friends and I remember like just recording cassettes at friends place and then <laughs> taking back home and then re-listening yeah. to them but yeah it was Iron Maiden the real life one and the song was Fear of the Dark cool cool for me it was um, I remember it vividly that I got this uh, copied cassette tape from a friend of mine with the Life After Death album and uh, I put it in my cassette player re rewind, rewind it rewound the tape and uh, the first song was uh, Run to the Hills Life and that was like holy what the hell is this this is great <laughs> <laughs> then I watched uh, the Life After Death video and that's when I knew for sure okay mom dad I don't want to play the keyboards anymore uh, because I was playing the keyboards back then mm -hmm. but with those uh, one finger arpeggiator uh, thing <laughs> with some bossa nova rhythm background. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't uh, that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. So I said, yeah, I want to quit keyboards and I want to start playing the electric guitar. And of course, my parents weren't that conf that easily convinced since my keyboard has been gathering dust in the corner of my room. So that took quite some convincing. But for my 14th uh, birthday, I got this. Uh, yeah, really El Cheapo uh, uh, electric guitar with a super tiny amp, but to me that was, you know, the best and the, the greatest and, you know, I, uh, that's, that's when it started. And the reason, uh, the, the, the trigger that made me decide to become a professional and to start studying at the conservatory was we had this, um, yeah, Headbangers Ball, MTV with uh, Vanessa Warwick. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it was always very late at night, and I was almost falling asleep. And then uh, Dream Theater's uh, Take the Time video came on. Yeah. And that completely woke me up, especially with that uh, middle part where the guitar and the keyboards play some unison, uh, tricky, uh, delicate uh, uh, thing. And I was like, oh, whoa, what is this? That was completely new. And that was also 92, I, I think. And, um, you know, we were just talking about the grunge. That was something completely different from all the other stuff that MTV was playing, you know, at that time. Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Nirvana, and, 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 which is great. It's mm -hmm. super awesome. But Dream Theater really stood out, and uh, yeah, so I started to, uh, um, you know, to check them out. And there was pre-internet, so you had to go and and look for some magazines or talk to people or um, you know that kind of stuff. And uh, it's and it's I crazy thought, when you th when you look back, isn't it? Because I have like I still have it like files with. Uh, magazine cuts european magazine cuts that people used to send to me you know uh with uh, uh information about what was happening in uh, in the metal scene out here and and obviously at the time i was collecting uh, bits of iron maiden so i would get like you know pages from magazines where you know i don't know a band member gave an interview to wh whichever european magazine and and nowadays those things are so irrelevant you know because everything is online and 
And mm. I think there's so many great things that obviously uh, a technology brought us and, 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 and a lot of people have different opinions about it. I mean, I, for example, when it comes to, to a band or to music, you know, uh, I, my, my, my opinion, which fluctuates, it changes every now and then, but my opinion, it has been very steady when it comes to, to this particular matter. Uh, I think it became harder for bands to make it because uh, nowadays you don't sell records anymore. So, and back in the day you would get a record deal, whichever record deal that would have been, a good one or a bad one, but at least you would get some money to produce an album and eventually depending uh, if you would go all the way back in the 80s you would get a deal where you would even make it would even have you would even have money to pay your rent and pay you and just basically you know get yourself uh, a kick start on on yeah. the music yeah. uh yeah. and however nowadays that that simply doesn't happen that's that's something that you know you really got to be in a very very lucky position and be working really hard for, for your own self to get into a deal, a similar deal uh, uh, to that, which is obviously it's going to be just a fraction of what it used to be. However, other people will say, no, I disagree. I think nowadays you have access to so much music and you can get your music uh, heard anytime by anyone uh, online. And th th there's always those two sides of the coin, isn't it? And what, what, what do you think about that, Rude? Do you think it's, it, 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 it's actually... Um, I think it's 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 a, it, it it definitely it hasn't become easier. But but you have like an opinion in 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 yeah. regards of that. If say if you're starting a band today, I mean, how would you approach it? I think it's it's much more difficult. I don't know actually because I've never, you know. Also back in the day, record companies would invest in a band. You know, they would invest in the development of of a band, and that that just doesn't happen anymore. Back then, you could also get this, uh, yeah, uh, uh, what's the English word? Volkskult. You know, money up front. Oh, yeah, an, an advance. An advance, yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. an advance. And, um, of course, nowadays, you can put your own music on Spotify yourself. You know, I do it myself with my For All We Know uh, album. So, in that sense, it's easier. On the other hand, there is so much music there are so many bands it's ridiculous mm -hmm. and, you know and and that has something to do with the fact that especially in the heavy metal you know kids produce their own albums in their bedrooms which sound sometimes extremely good mm -hmm. and back in the days you you had to uh, rent a super super expensive studio to get that uh, to get that uh, vibe and and that's also something that I don't like that much about modern heavy metal is that, um, you know, with all, with all this software where you can make great drum sounds, it's awesome, but it's, it sometimes sounds way too produced, mm -hmm. which isn't, for, for that style of music, it's great because then you can do it uh, uh, for yourself at home, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and in that sense, it's easier to record your own music. And therefore, there are so many bands and that's maybe one of the reasons why it's why it's more difficult these days because it's so so difficult to uh, you know to stand out and to, to stand uh, out yeah. yeah that is that is so I think that that, that yeah there are two ways to look at it I yeah. Know, yeah I think I, I generally think that uh, uh, 
common sense, it, it became harder. It became so much harder. And, and, and I see it every day, like here in London, things changing constantly. And venues that a few years ago used to host gigs, they're closing down. And, mm -hmm. you know, in order to build those very expensive flats that I don't know who's going to buy them because definitely not going to be me. <laughs> um, and, 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 and it's very, very difficult. I remember like uh, when, when I first moved to London, you know, um, trying to put a band together and, 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 and it, hasn't, it hasn't been an easy thing to do here. And um, back in Brazil, for, for uh, as funny as it sounds, there's so many musicians there. I mean, like, I know so many, like, guitarists and, and drummers and singers and bass players. I mean, I could put a great kick-ass band together, like, with the blink of an eye. And here mm. in London, you would think, oh, my God, there must be, like, shit loads of musicians around willing to, you know, uh, uh, put together a rock or a metal band. And, 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 it, and it just doesn't. And, and it feels, and it's quite frustrating at, 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 till a certain extent because this country has produced uh, so many of the greatest, if not like, well, uh, the huge majority of the greatest when you look back from rock to heavy metal. I mean, most of the things came from, from, from England and yeah. influenced every, uh, like, you know our generation, and 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 it's something that will definitely uh, um, be and and gonna s stand out forever when it comes to 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 rock and and, and metal music, and that's a part a part of the culture as well. Um, and unfortunately, this country doesn't look very much well after that, I must say. But but that's a yeah. completely different different matter. Uh, in in the Netherlands, do you guys have like? Uh, is there a lot of like bands that perhaps are like making a very good living by being, for example, uh, big in the Netherlands, and maybe nobody knows them across the border? Yeah, there are quite some uh, some bands who uh, do stadiums here. Wow! No one, no one has, has has heard of them, uh, you know, uh, south of Brussels, maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's really interesting because I remember working with. Um, uh, Jonathan, uh, the singer of Ego Kill Talent, he used to have a rock band in Brazil that went, uh, it was huge, like m really, really big in the early 2000s, like number one single on, on the radio constantly, uh, like playing shows for like 10,000 people, like, I mean, crazy stuff, you know, really crazy stuff, and then in Brazil, you would go a couple of states above us, which would be the same distance as probably going from London to Amsterdam to a different country here in, in Europe. You would say it's a different country here, but in Brazil, because of the size of the country, it's a different state. Um, mm -hmm. And people would, wouldn't know anything about it. And I can totally see those things happening. Like, you know, you go to to, to the Netherlands or you go to France or you go to Italy. There must be... Uh, acts and artists that are possibly huge and maybe even pop stars in their own country but nobody heard of them outside abroad <laughs> yeah it is interesting it is really funny and and i guess that as an artist it's pretty cool because if you are sick and tired of being recognized everywhere you can just go to another country and you're just an ordinary joke <laughs> that's that's absolutely true yeah how is that for you do you do well with that or how, how is that for you back home does people do you go like to the off license next door by milk and bread and people oh hello mate i recognize no, you i'm just a guitar player you know <laughs> everyone only has attention for the female singer <laughs>
<laughs> I, I remember that there was this one moment uh, back in my old house where I used to live like 15 years ago when we were really mainstream here on, on the radio that I came home one day and my neighbor, she came out of her house and she said, yeah, I don't know if, if you're interested to know or if, if you should know, but there were two young girls here today and they were taking pictures uh, from uh, inside, uh, through your letterbox, oh, from wow. inside your hallway. Hmm. <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> and I, I never experienced anything like that. And but nah, that that kind of stuff almost never happens. Fortunately, because uh, yeah, that's not why I started making music. Fair enough. Fair enough. Do you um, do you follow yourself with any uh, morning morning routines? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I. Um, I started uh, a, a journal a couple of months ago, um, and I have this habit tracker in it. And um, one of the things that I tend to do is uh, I want to be up by nine if I have a day off, because I uh, I'm, I can be pretty disciplined, but not when it comes to uh, getting up early. <laughs> in that sense, I'm, I can be super lazy. So uh, I want to be up by nine, which could be eight or eight thirty or nine o'clock, and um, I, I meditate. I, ten, I try to meditate. No, I don't try. I do it. Do uh, do or do not. There is no try. As uh, Yoda said, as we all know. Anyways, but I uh, I meditate for twenty minutes, and then I. Uh, How I do you meditate? Do you do you use? Do you just sit quietly, or do you do do you listen to some music? What is that? No, I do a Zen uh, Zen meditation. So that's uh, sitting quietly and focusing on your breathing and counting your exhales, and you know, and and you know, people always say, "Oh, meditate! Yeah, I should meditate. Oh, it would be so great to think of nothing." But that's a myth. That's impossible. People cannot think of nothing because once you start thinking oh yeah I shouldn't think of anything then you're thinking already exactly good point and and uh, and uh, you know meditation is pretty simple which doesn't mean that it's easy but uh, for me it uh, it helps in my uh, uh, focus the rest of the day and um, I tend to be more focused and I tend to sleep a bit better because I used to be a pretty bad sleeper and uh, so that helps do you do it in the evening as well before going to bed i should i should but usually i uh you know it's too late when i finish uh, my yeah, video I'm game not. or when i finish <laughs> exactly uh, the last uh, black mirror episode on netflix or whatever <laughs> <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then i'm too sleepy and i think nah, it, i'm gonna do that tomorrow and you know what they say that uh, that you should uh, meditate once a day except uh, when you're extremely busy that's when you should meditate twice a day. Okay. As the, a paradox. Yeah, as a paradox. As a paradox. Yeah. I, yeah. When it comes to meditation, I mean, you hear so many different fronts and so many different approaches, and 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 I myself, I started meditating like uh, on a regular basis, like for the last year and a half, I think it has been, mm -hmm. and it, it, it's just something that um, you obviously always want to kind of like i mean like every life basically you you always kind of like expect something right you're always expecting something and i think a lot of people approach meditation expecting something to change on their lives and when they realize that nothing is actually 
really changing and the the, the, the the changes that happen are so subtle that yeah. you really have to be aware and really pay attention on, on your mind and 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 um, and on yourself to really and to, to really note that but uh, but I do sense that just by having that you know 10 15 20 minute uh, uh, moment for yourself, where you at least are trying to focus on your breathing and, and quieten your mind somehow. Because just like you said, you can't not think, but it's good to just be aware that when you start thinking, if you can somehow try and uh, uh, bring back yourself to the present yeah, moment and not let and observe and let your mind go back and forth, but at least you're observant of the fact that your mind is, you know, going out there again and you're just trying to focus again on your breathing and being present. I think that's uh, that there's a lot of benefits, obviously, you know, when it comes to uh, blood pressure and, mm -hmm. and, and physical things, there's a, there's a lot to say about it. Yeah, yeah. And even, even uh, you know, you, 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 you force yourself to sit down for 20 minutes because we all have busy lives. We run from one end to the other, and you know it's it's good to just sit down for twenty minutes. And and one of the things that I have noticed is that um, I I when I teach when I go teaching I uh, need to go to Eindhoven, which is like a twenty minute train ride from here, and I feel that I am better focused when I read my book in the morning and in the afternoon on my way back that I don't get distracted by other people talking that much. And that was one of the things that I thought. Hmm, Maybe that's one of the things that came out in uh, in meditation. There's this really good title of a book that I uh, just finished. It's by uh, Sam Harris, and the, the title of it is it's, uh, 10 Percent Happier." And maybe that's um, that because I heard you say that people expect that it's like a 180 degree uh, difference in their life, but uh, actually it's not. There's, so it's there's, uh, there's not a huge difference, but a little bit of a difference. Mm -hmm. Sorry, so it's a ten percent happier by Sam Harris. Did you say Sam Harris? Yeah, and okay. he's he's uh, he's also in that uh, minimalism documentary uh, that I uh, that I told you about uh, in the beginning of this uh, of this interview or this this conversation. Mm -hmm. but, um, there's a funny story. Can I tell you a funny story? Please, by all means. So I watched that minimalism documentary and I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to get rid of that. Awesome. Hey, there were some books in uh, some authors of, uh, of, uh, of books um, uh, in, in the documentary. So I, uh, yeah, I ordered them, which is completely not minimalistic <laughs> in a sense. But the most where the weirdest thing was that the book Minimalism by those two guys, uh, Joshua Fields Milburn and, and uh, Ryan Nicodemus, the, they are featured mostly in that documentary. I ordered it and it didn't arrive the next day. So two days later, I called the store and I said, yeah, those books haven't arrived. Oh, I'm going to send them to you again. Sure. 15 minutes after, 15 minutes after I hung up the phone, I heard my... Uh, my doormat and those two books were on the on the floor and I was like, hmm, that's weird. That's really quick. <laughs> so those were the initial books, my initial order, and the next day those same books arrived again. So I was holding <laughs> two books of minimalism. So yeah, that was a bit uh, ironic. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's funny, but that's yeah. kind of like as well the, um, the the I think that we live um, we live in um, in such a 
um, everything is so fast these days, you know, yeah. we're living in such a crazy, crazy, crazy time that sometimes we, we ourselves don't even realize how crazy it is. Uh, when you put into perspective, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years of evolution and, and just literally for the last uh, 20 years, 25 years, technology has been like exploding mm. well internet you know uh, it literally like when i was going to school i could mm. never imagine that we would be doing what exactly what we're doing right now you yeah. know and this is like um this is like 20 years ago you know and and obviously you know you see people talking more and more about people getting addicted to their mobile phones and social media and everybody being so like disconnected from each other, not knowing your neighbors anymore. And mm -hmm. you know, people don't go out to meet people out in the park. They go on a, a dating app on their phones. And I mean, I think I think it's it, it's it, interesting times, but but things are happening so fast that uh, sometimes I fear that uh, we we might get a little bit too. Um, too ahead of, of our game if we don't literally just kind of like start to really pay attention and, and, and take a little break from all of those things and trying to be more observant of, of how do we react to those things. I mean, I myself, you know, I try to basically, you know, at night, uh, I, I sleep basically with my phone on airplane mode and, 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 and the Wi-Fi off. And I got my parents the other day saying, well, but if an emergency happens, well, if an emergency happens in the middle of the night with somebody that is across the ocean, it's not going to be two, three or four hours uh, uh, difference yeah. till I actually get up and that's going to make a change to anything, really. Um, yeah. So unless if it's something that you're really expecting, you know, sometimes different circumstances, but like, but on, on, on a regular basis, I don't need to have uh, those frequencies inside of my room. And then waking up in the morning, first thing, you know, what do you do? Your alarm goes off, normally goes off from your mobile. And then what do you do? You open your eyes, you grab your mobile, and you start checking uh, stuff. And next thing you know, you've spent 20 minutes or 25 minutes or 30 minutes uh, just scrolling <laughs> up and down. And, and, that's, and, and, and I can tell straight away that my brain, if I do that, get a little bit heated up straight away. <laughs> If I don't do that, if I just get up, go to the loo, come back and do my meditation, then I go to the kitchen to make my breakfast, which is kind of like my routine basically now. <laughs> um, that's when I get my phone and then I check things, but then I have a sense of that I am uh, a bit more calm, a bit more present, and then I can obviously deal with that because that's just part of our lives nowadays. There's no way around it. You know, everything is on your phone. Your bank card is on your phone. Your bank yep. is on your phone. Your friends are on your phone. Your family is on your phone. Work is on everything is that. Um, yeah. But but it's unfortunate because I don't see it a lot of uh, a lot of uh, this kind of. Uh, you you kind of have to be interested. It's not something that comes to you, it, uh, like like diet, for example. You know, like uh, the the you know, there's so much nowadays uh, uh, of people talking about veganism and vegetarians and, and 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 you know the causes of climate change and and all of those things. But I still feel that if you don't have an interest for it, those things won't come to you. You know, and um, which brings on the question like. Um, do you do you have do you have a, to follow a specific diet or, or do you have any any anything that you 
that you want to say about that, or what's your approach to it? Well, I am. Um, I'm not a vegetarian, but since two years, I've been uh, really more conscious about what I eat uh, meat-wise, because here in the Netherlands there was this huge um, scandal about this slaughterhouse that uh, didn't follow the rules at all, and there was this undercover guy, this employee, but he was actually undercover working for this other organization, and he filmed a lot, uh, you know, how, how things uh, went down there. And I remember talking to a, a sports uh, friend of mine, and he said, "Oh man, I, I almost turned vegetarian today." I said, why, "Why is that?" Well, he told me about that uh, that video, and the court had uh, had closed that slaughterhouse down. But two or three weeks later, it was opened again. So those same videos they started popping popping up on my Facebook and all over on my timeline. And that's when I remembered, "Oh yeah, that's the video that uh, he was telling me about." So I forced myself to watch it and yeah the things that i saw there that was man i i of course i know that kind of stuff happens but yeah you tend to close your eyes for it you know mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, but when i saw it happening on my screen that was wow that that's when i decided to and that, that's when i didn't eat meat for six months or something and but now I have been a little bit more flexible with it. I never cook meat myself anymore. I, I maybe eat meat once or twice a month now, which is good. That's great. I, That's really really good. Yeah, I'm. Uh, and for the rest, um, no, I like beer. <laughs> Me too. We're gonna get into that for sure. <laughs> but uh, but before we go and talk about that. Um, I think, you know, it's, I find it really amazing what you just said, because I truly believe, I myself, I watched, uh, here's a documentary for you if you haven't watched it, uh, what, what the Health is on Netflix as well. It's about the meat industry, but it's not really focused on slaughterhouses or anything gore like that. It's more about uh, showing that basically, you know, all of those organizations, say British Heart Foundation, all of those organizations that, you know, are supposedly, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, tackling the, 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 the health uh, subjects of life for us and delivering what supposedly are the right uh, messages when it comes to diet and what's good for you as a human being, how everything, everything is rigged from like... Um, even these like uh, college institutions, you know, why doctors uh, uh, teach you uh, specifically uh, certain things and, and, and they don't teach you other things. Like when mm -hmm. you go to the doctor, every time that you have uh, an illness, you go to the doctor. I mean, doctors don't say, okay, but wait a minute. Okay, you've got a headache. You've got a stomachache. You've got, okay, but before I give you those pills... Uh, let me just do an analysis of, of, of your composition of your body because you might be lacking a specific nutrient that is very specific to you, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, you might have a great diet, but you might be lacking on, this, on a nutrient that might influence your brain, that might influence your digestive system, that, you know, and all of those things, the biohacking of, of, of ourselves, I think it's totally overseen. Because there's obviously a massive industry, one of the biggest in the world, the pharmaceutical industry, that has yeah. no interest on, on, on letting 
people know that they can heal themselves just by you know drinking plenty of water and having a very healthy diet and even if you have a very healthy diet the soil is so compromised these days that the 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 the, the, the fruit and the vegetables growing on that soil are already 40 50 sometimes 60 percent less a uh, uh, nutrient dense than they used to be so by the mm. point that they actually come to your plate they are just you know another tomato you know it's not like uh, uh, the, the the fruit that was originally uh, uh, in the past nutrient wise and mm. and those things are so complex because in school people don't teach you that you go to university people don't talk about that um, the fact that for example uh, uh, so, like I was saying, after watching this documentary, I decided to just uh, step away from it completely. And I did for a while. Fish for me was always difficult because I love sushi. And uh, I had this idea that most people have that, oh, but, but fish is not too much of, the, of a problem for, for the whole uh, uh, scenario, for the whole climate change, for the whole soil destruction, and etc. Because obviously there's no soil involved with fish. That's what people tend to think. But um, but as a matter of fact, it's uh, you know the oceans have been completely depleted as we speak because we've been consuming all of the fish that we can possibly get our hands on. Um, but the main factor it's obviously beef. Beef uh, uh, is eighty to eighty-five percent, I think, uh, the cause of all of the basically all of the you know pollution that we get on on air these days, and and that is more. Just the production of beef. When I say beef, I'm talking about uh, the whole everything that involves for that piece of meat to come to sit yeah. on our plate. The production of it, how we fat, how we feed the cows, everything. Uh, all of the process consumes more and pollutes more than all of the public transport in the world combined. And that means all the aeroplanes, all the cars, all the motorcycles, all the all ships everything and that's mm. absolutely crazy so mm. i decided to step away from it anyway mm. i didn't succeed it fully because uh then you start seeing the other side of it how did we as human beings evolved how did we get here how our brains got to the size that they are nowadays and we ate meat for yeah. generations we used to go out there and hunt for a meat. Yeah. that was one of the main things that we had uh on as as a, as a food staple for centuries for thousands and thousands and and, and, and uh, centuries for thousands of years not even centuries for thousands of years mm -hmm. uh, and it is part of a healthy diet but we got to a point that we just consume that morning lunch and dinner yeah. you know yeah. and that's and that's that's too much but then mm -hmm. the approach that you are having now uh, I am not I, I don't have that because I literally I, I don't eat beef I probably eat beef these days maybe twice three times a year and it will be on very specific occasions but regardless of that i do think that the the healthy approach is just exactly what you do twice a month like it used to be yeah. celebration you know you make a celebration out of it you know you're gonna have a family gathering or something nice is happening or you're going to a restaurant that you really like you know you add that as something uh as 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 I say, you know that that that, that is like the, the 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 cherry or the cake on a very special moment, and not something that you just do it on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, I agree.
That's really cool. I mean, I, I, I think that's amazing. But then, obviously, if you go and I have lots of vegan friends and, and, and if you speak to them like that, they just, um, they tend to come to you and say that you are a hypocrite, that you are this and you are that. And you kind of just have to, you know, understand and, and, and follow uh, uh, your own beliefs, you know, and, 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 and your own beliefs are always normally based on, on the information. As much information that you can get, then you can make uh, better decisions in life. And, and this would be one of them, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, veganism, th th I wouldn't be able to do that. What, what would you even be doing? What, what was that? Veganism. Ah, right, yeah. I just like a pizza with nice cheese on it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? There's some amazing pizzas nowadays, vegan. I literally just, I live in Camden in Northwest London, and uh, I just went to this pizzeria the other day called Purezza. And my goodness, I swear to you, that is my, it's on the top three of the best pizzas I've ever had in my life. And it's 100% vegan. Even the, the, even the dessert pizza, they do a, a, a chocolate ice cream dessert pizza, which is delicious. Uh, completely vegan. Completely vegan. I was astonished by how amazing it was. Whenever you're in London, I'll take you there, Ruth. So yes, good. That's a deal. That's a deal. <laughs> um, so... What are the things that occupy your mind more than other people? Ooh, that's a deep that's question. That's an interesting one. <laughs> wow. That's the first time I got this one. Hmm. Um, what occupies my mind more than other people or normal people? <laughs> 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 but that depends. That that opens okay. up another question. What are no, what are and who are the normal ones and who are not the normal ones? Yeah, that's a whole different. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole different question, indeed. Are we both normal or are we not both normal? Uh, I don't think so. Not to the normal standards that we have here, <laughs> but, uh, at least not in the Netherlands. Well, okay. Not think, yeah, it depends on the moment, I guess, or the maybe video game. Maybe you wake up in the morning thinking about playing video games, but then mm. no, something like that. that, you know, something that you think, hmm, this is kind of like always on my mind for some reason. Wow. Well, if you can't think of anything, let's leave that for later. It might, it might come to you yeah, at some point. Very interesting question. Worst case scenario, I'll be thinking about this question uh, tonight when I'm uh, in bed in the in the tour bus because we leave for uh, for Switzerland uh, this evening. Mm -hmm. uh, we have some festivals this weekend, so uh, that's some food for thought this weekend. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, what do you do to unwind? What's the perfect lazy day on your books? Like, you know, like today is the day that you take in the day for yourself. You don't want to do anything but be absolutely lazy and just rest up. What would you do? I think I would either read a book, watch a movie or play a video game. Or, or um, um, as, as weird as it sounds, just... just do do some noodling on my guitar, just mm -hmm. some guitar playing without any um, expectation out of it, without any purpose of recording or writing or or whatever. But it, it's probably mainly watching a movie or reading a book or going out for a walk. 
Okay, but do you that that's interesting? Let me just um, tap into this one. Do you like, for example, say now that uh, festival season, you guys playing on the weekends and then you're back home uh, during the week? I presume. Um, yes. Do you uh, what, 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 do you follow like a, a daily practice routine to keep up with uh, the technique in order to perform on those shows because the songs can be quite. Mm -hmm technical or you don't follow any any of that or do you have like um do you follow a certain a specific routine in terms of uh, uh specific techniques is there anything like that that you do no i shoot <laughs> I shoot i feel guilty now again thinking about it well no the thing is that within temptations music isn't that technically challenging there are some challenging things in it some some solo stuff which I should practice maybe a little bit more, but um, um, no. And that's always one of my resolutions that I think oh, now I need to, even if it's just half an hour a day, that's, that makes such a huge difference. But yeah, you know, we just said it already. We're all so busy and, and sometimes, sometimes I'm busy with nothing. That, that Then it's evening all of a sudden and I think, whoa, I have been busy all day, but what have I been doing? Mm -hmm. And then it's usually a chore here, going to the grocery store, going to the post office, uh, then my yard a little bit, doing some laundry, mm -hmm. and uh, you know that 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 kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you tend to cook for yourself at home? Yes. Yes. Pretty much every day. Amazing. Amazing. What What do you normally cook? Do you have anything like, for example, breakfast? We were talking about morning routine earlier on, and and somehow you know our conversations that uh, we we tend to kind of like jump into different subjects, which is really cool. Um, but then you're talking about meditation, and then do you normally go and and make yourself breakfast, or do you skip breakfast in the morning? Or and if you do breakfast, breakfast what? I, I eat I eat breakfast. Yeah, I usually eat uh, those uh, granola granola things with goat milk and some blueberries in it. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, lately, I've been preparing myself. Uh, a, a, yeah, you have that alarm probably as well. The poke bowl. Have you mm -hmm. heard of that? It, yeah. This Hawaiian. Uh, this Hawaiian. It, I call it lazy sushi. <laughs> Since yeah. it's pretty much uh, sushi ingredients, pretty much. Yeah, that's what I've been preparing for myself. Uh, nice. Like almost three days a week, and I'm almost getting sick of it already because I've been <laughs> eating it. You know, whenever I. I discover a new dish that I'm making, I, I, I tend to overdo it and mm -hmm. with the result that I'm sick of it within a month. So, <laughs> and, I, and on the road, do you manage to, to keep up with um, like uh, eating well and eating healthy or do you sometimes let yourself just indulge a little bit more? Because obviously there's always like, you know, uh, big caterings and hotels they have those nice breakfasts and festivals they have like True. big caterings with lots of you know uh, healthy stuff but there's a lot of like sweets and cakes and this and that well, that's one of the things that you know and we have toured together so then you know that we uh, especially in Europe on our own uh, shows we have our own catering we have two or two or three cooks I think and they, uh, you know, they make three dishes every day, meat, fish, and vegetarian, which is awesome. The desserts are really awesome as well, but I tend to stay away from them, not because I don't 
one, I don't, uh, you know, I don't think I deserve or that I'm getting fat or whatever, but I've never been that much uh, of a deserved kind of person. Um, but, uh, and uh, catering-wise, hospitality-wise, um, we had, we, we got rid of all the candy stuff. Oh, wow, that's nice. You, you recognize it, you know, it's not, you're not snacking, you're not eating candy because you are in a mood for that, but because you are bored. That's why you start eating. That's mm -hmm. why you grab this bag of chips and you start eating and that's when you get that chocolate bar and you start eating because mm. you're bored you don't have anything to do in those dressing rooms because people always think that it's one huge party with naked ladies and <laughs> drugs and and uh, you know but but you know you can confirm this it's it's pretty boring backstage in the dressing rooms <laughs> so you need to occupy yourself with something else than food and um i must say that that sometimes i think that we're taking it a little bit too far because you know some of us are are a little bit those obnoxious health freaks <laughs> until they started drinking and that's when uh, all hell breaks loose of course but and then you have the after show pizza that that's something that i can never resist because you just performed for one and a half hour and you burn some calories and you know you have been drinking a little bit of beer because it has been proven that alcohol makes you a bit more peckish than usual and <laughs> yeah. you know, when you get off stage and the door of the dressing room opens and there's this stack of super <laughs> hot nice fresh pizzas yeah and, and then you know amazing yeah <laughs> that's, great. that's great it is great it is great oh after show pizzas are always so good i love it that's <laughs> the best and i think you know fuck it you just need to uh you know to enjoy life Absolutely, you gotta allow yourself to do that, and yeah. yeah, totally. Do you do you exercise regularly? Do you do any form of exercise yourself? Yeah, I I, uh, I do uh, a Krav Maga and boxing and kickboxing. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna. I think before we leaving, I think I'm gonna do a kickbox training tonight. Oh, nice! That's, That's fun. Nice. And I I know that you are a runner. Mm -hmm. You run mm -hmm. a lot, and. Mm -hmm. I hate it <laughs> and I have tried it many 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 times because I there was a while that I thought that uh, you know that I, I uh, that I thought that I had to run like once or twice a week and I did it but I was miserable every time and after a while I was like yeah fuck it I'm not gonna do it anymore do you know what <laughs> I think running is is, is 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 a very interesting one because it's not an easy thing it's definitely going from from the couch to lacing up and going out there and 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 you know uh, running it's not it's definitely not something uh, very easy to get into it and it can, and you can do it very uh, in a in a very wrong way. You can just basically start running, and then you start too fast, and then you go too far, and then you get injured, and then all of those things can play a massive role mm -hmm. on how you will see the sport in itself. But I truly believe as well that um, with the right information, with the right maybe partner, or maybe even the right coach, you, and you and taking on baby steps and allowing yourself to okay, I'm gonna spare three times a week, 20 to 25 minutes to go on a jog, not on the run. I'm going to, you know, mm. walk for a minute, jog for two minutes, walk for a minute, jog for two minutes. Repeat that, you know, 10 times, three times a week, 
um, and then you will see the benefits. It's kind of like meditation, you know, at the beginning you sit there quietly and you're like, why am I doing this? I'm wasting my time. But you compromise. You say, no, I'm going to give it a go and I'm going to do it day after day after day and it gets to a point that you're like, oh, okay, I can see where this is going. Okay, I, I can taste the flavors of this thing. And I think running has a, has a lot of that. Like, um, I, I, I have, like, for example, Kiko, Kiko Loreiro, a good friend of mine. He, mm-hmm. he used to be a guy many years ago that used to say the same thing, that he couldn't run because he always had a problem with his knee. That was his excuse, right? Problem with mm-hmm. his knee. And many times on tour, we would go on jogs and he would go, oh, my knee hurts anyway. He followed a very simple program that I gave him uh, years ago. And then eventually he was doing, you know, regular runs. And then um, I think it was last year on when Megadeth was touring America, I was, I was there with him. And um, we did a few runs. And then there was one day that he was always like, oh, I can't do more than 10Ks. And I'm like, who says that? I said, no, I just can't. I can't do it. But regardless, 10K is already a pretty good distance for someone that, you know, uh, was was not used to, to running at all. And I was like, no, we, we can do that. And then just on this leisurely run, we were, I think it was, it was New York, we were in Central Park, and we ended up doing 12K. And it was like, well, I didn't even notice that. And I was like, well, because we were not taking it too seriously. We were just chatting and going on this leisurely jog. There's no, uh, we're not thinking about speed. We're not thinking about distance. We're just enjoying ourselves. And yeah. anyway, long story short, a few weeks after that, he messaged me. He's elsewhere in America. He's like, mate, I, have a, I, just, I just did 21K on my yeah. own. Basically a half marathon, right? <laughs> awesome. Pain-free, not feeling anything. And... So yeah, maybe that's something that um, I'll try and convince you to to do at some point, Rude. You know, a bit of a jog in here, especially because when you do go for a jog and then you have a nice craft beer waiting for you at the end of it. Oh and a, my goodness! And a, and a vegan pizza. And a vegan I, pizza. <laughs> I I feel uh, yeah. I, you know, next time I'm in London, I'm gonna go for a run or a jog. And then a vegan pizza, and then some beer. There yeah, you go. Beer. So, which brings which brings into question you 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 like your beer, do you? Yeah, man, I really do. Do you do you like? I mean, but do you drink like a normal beer, or are you a bit of a? I wouldn't. I don't like using the word beer snob because people tend to me sometimes when they don't know me that well, and they say you're a beer snob. It's not being a beer snob. It's just like you know when it's you just know what you like. And exactly. You, yeah. yeah. And you and and it's like it's it's the same with food. If if you know that um, you know the food next door is better quality, it's better sourced. Uh, you're gonna go for that if you can afford it, right? Um, and I myself, I love craft beer. I've been, I've been uh, like my running club has a. Basically, I'm the captain of the Mikaela Running Club, and Mikaela is a Danish craft brewery, um, producing some of the most amazing beers that I have ever had in my entire life. And so through them, and then doing the running club here in London. Uh, I end up getting involved and meeting so many uh, uh, brewers from all over the world, from the best uh, 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 craft brewers from America, from uh, uh, from South America, from Europe, and and my goodness, I mean, when when you get into this world, it becomes kind of like uh, nowadays not so much, but like I remember like two two three years ago, you just want to kind of like. 
I started a collection of beers basically at home, you know, because there's lots of styles of beer, beers that are, are styles of beer that are good aging, you know, like <laughs> you get like the the, the beers um, lambics from from Belgium, you know, those beers are amazing beers. Yeah, yeah, Brus yeah. In the south of Brussels, you have Cantillon and Trefontaine, which are like holy grail, holy grail for for beer enthusiasts. Yeah. And and those beers, they, I mean, if you buy those bottles and you keep them in your cellar for a couple of years, they become vintage bottles. If you keep them for mm -hmm. like five, ten years, you know, they become priceless. And 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 it's delicious. It's just like. Um, I don't know. It becomes kind of like, a, and you drink less as well, I guess, because the the, the ABV of those beers tend to be slightly higher than yeah, the standard. Unless you're beer. from Sweden, uh -huh. but, uh, unless you're from Sweden, because Stefan, our our Swedish guitar player, he drinks these these fine beers, these these pretty heavy beers. He drinks them just as lager, chucks <laughs> them down, and yeah. But I'm sorry. Uh, continue <laughs> no no that's okay yeah just um just you know um do you have any 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 preference do you do you, is there any a, a style of beer they really like well it depends on the season um in the winter time i'm i really like the dark beers the, the double beers from usually belgium or from uh, you know la trappe that's uh, that's uh, it used to be one of the seven trappist beers there are more trappist beers mm -hmm. nowadays i believe but uh, there were six in Belgium and one in the Netherlands, and that one in the Netherlands is like a, a, a fifty-minute bicycle ride from my home. Oh so wow! You can, so you can imagine where I uh, usually spend my uh, <laughs> my free my free Sundays. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. And in in summertime, I'm more into uh, wheat beers or IPA beers. Amazing! That's really really cool. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. Introduced to you, uh, Michaela beers at some point. Yeah, I, I don't know them. It's I like the fact that there are so many microbreweries as well. There's this place just because I live like five kilometers from the uh, Belgian border. I live in the total south of the Netherlands, and there's this. Yeah, it's it's literally translated into beer shed, and they have I don't know how many different beers that they sell uh, on a bottle. But they have this this huge uh, selection of all these microbreweries from you know Netherlands, Sweden, Finland, all over the world, pretty much all over Europe. Mm -hmm. So maybe they have the Danish beer as well. I don't know. You yeah, check it out. probably. Yeah, those places they tend to have like when it, when it's a big craft beer shop, and this one that you just described sounds like one of those. They do have it, and uh, so if you ever stop by, just ask them for for Michaela because it's really, really, really fantastic. Um, okay. Rude. So, um, kind of starting to uh, gonna try and start to wrap up this amazing conversation I'm having with you. I'm gonna shoot you some roller coaster questions, which are basically questions that uh, I make to um, all of the guests of the show. So okay. the the first one would be, um, what's your spiritual practice, if any at all? Are you spiritual at all? I, I yeah, I am. I am. I am pretty spiritual. I've been, um, yes, um, you know, the white light. That's something that I've been dipping my toes in a little bit. I've been reading a lot of books on self help and on spirituality, and. Um, 
something is happening over there. Yeah, um, the where, where, wasn't it? where I am, it's very, I'm very close to the um, to the national uh, hospital here up north in <gasps> northwest London. So there's always always ambulances passing by <laughs> where I live. <laughs> which is uh yeah some people might get um um distressed with that but it's just a normal thing <laughs> okay um so um yeah the only thing is that the, the, some people think that you are completely flaky once you start talking about that kind of stuff so uh yeah i almost never do mm. well i um, i really like the subject because i i i Generally, I've had. I come from a very religious family. I'm Catholic myself, um, yeah, and uh, my parents are very religious, both of them. And I generally, um, I, well, I, I I changed myself since I moved to England. Uh, I started to see a different different side of the coin. I'm not the kind of person that believes that there is a guy sitting up there in the skies, in the heavens, you know, judging the good and the bad and blah, blah, blah. But I am very spiritual. I do believe that uh, there is so much more than the eye can see, so much more that uh, are, we can basically perceive. I think there's more than just the frequencies that we are made of and, and the combination of atoms and things that we are made of and the things that we touch are made of i think there's so much more than that and uh i do follow kind of like um it's not that i follow i have my own way of you know thanking the universe and asking things to the universe and just connecting to those frequencies mm -hmm. you know i think the more positive you are the more positive the, the more you smile to life you know i know it sounds a bit cliche but uh, the more you smile to life, I think life smiles back at you, and it could be on small things, on just, you know, wishing someone well, like someone coming to drop the mail to you in your house, and the person is in a rush and doesn't have time, and maybe is having a bad day or doing a job that the person hates doing. But then, you know, uh, thank you very much. I wish you well, and you send that energy out, yeah. and somehow that might. I, be, I truly believe that the, those energies, they affect people. And on this particular case, when it comes to sharing positiveness in a very positive way. And obviously, that the, the opposite is true as well. If, you, if you're if a negative person, if you wish people uh, 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 bad things, those will affect people, but ultimately will affect you because you will attract those things towards yeah. your life. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I believe that there is... A, there is so much more than the eye can see. Yeah, same here. I agree. Amazing. Um, this is another interesting one. Uh, what would someone who doesn't like you say about you? Uh, sometimes I hear that I can be arrogant. Um, but that is absolutely not something... Yeah, of course, I... I no, well, I, I guess that I would confess if I would think that I'm arrogant. But I know that that um, I can be sometimes too deep in my own thoughts, so that if someone sees me and he waves at me, I don't even see it. But that person might think that, oh, he's just ignoring me, he's, he's arrogant. Or uh, when I'm concentrating, I can look a bit, my face can be a little bit cranky looking. But that's that's not. I'm not cranky. I'm just concentrated, and apparently that's uh, 
how my face sits most comfortably on my uh, skull, I guess. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, what's your view about money? Um, that's a very interesting one as well. Um, I think that, you know, it's, a, it's too easy to say that money is not important because money is important up to a certain degree. I always told myself when I decided to uh, try to become a professional musician that I never want to lie awake over money issues. And if that would start to be the case, that's when I would uh, change my profession and go for a little bit more security. Um, because, that, yeah, I, I don't like to lie awake at night because I, I have money uh, problems. Uh, fortunately, that has never happened, um, with which I'm not saying that I'm rich or anything, but I'm, I'm comfortable. So, uh, in that sense, I think that money is not important because I have, I have enough to, to live a comfortable life. Um, yet, it has been proven that you need a certain amount of money to be comfortable and everything that you have more than that doesn't add to your happiness or anything. Um, so, I don't know if that answers your question or some it does. random thoughts, it does. maybe. It does. Very good. Uh, the, the last point you just mentioned about um, having enough money to be comfortable more than uh, 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 this threshold, you it doesn't add up. I agree with that because people, uh, it's interesting how we all see money and like you said money is just it's just the society it's just the world we live in it's just how we've been brought into this you know we didn't have a say on this but this is how the world we are uh, 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 is run by and we we depend on that and then obviously I agree 100% with everything you just said um, but I do believe as well that uh, if you have too much you know the more money that you have or even the more money you're making on your life the more responsibility you have, the less time you're likely to have for other things to perhaps, you know, practice some sports, to maybe if you have family and kids, to be with your family and your kids, to, you know, uh, less time you have for yourself. And, and that's something that nowadays is just crazy. Less and less people have time for themselves. Mm -hmm. So uh, we live in a, in a time that, you know, time is, is so precious uh, to, to everybody because we just don't have time for anything. Uh, yeah. The time that we have, we're always working because we need to, we need to, it's basically, it's this crazy machine that we're constantly in. You need time, so you need time for yourself, but you can't have it because you need to work to make money, to pay for the bills, to keep, it's just this crazy, crazy cycle, but... Uh, but definitely having too much money. I always dream about winning the lottery, but I'm not entirely sure if that would make me, uh, if that would be a, a great thing, you know, like uh, winning on the Euro millions, a hundred million pounds. <laughs> those, those kind of prices, they piss me off because sometimes we have over here the jackpot, which is like 43 million euros or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking it doesn't matter if you win 10 million or 43 million. Your life is going to be so completely different why not make 43 
people happy with 1 million or 430 people happy with 100,000 euros. You know, 100,000 euros, that's for most people uh, the perfect price because that's still enough money that you can wrap your head around, you know. Mm -hmm. Your life won't change that drastically, I think. Uh, maybe you can pay off your debts or you can maybe buy a new car if you need one. Maybe you can take that, that long, uh, you know, that, that, that world trip that you have been wishing for and maybe set some money aside for your children and then you have a comfortable life but but why would you why would you need 43 million euros that that and also that has been proven because i've been reading a lot about that kind of stuff that has been proven that, that a lot of uh, those lottery winners end up unhappy with that mm. because mm. their life changes like 180 degrees mm -hmm. I, I, honestly I, I i'm with you and i think the the division that you made with with the money i think uh yeah it, it's exactly just that it's so precise everything that you just said i agree 100 percent um but with all that in mind i mean i generally wouldn't mind if my ticket tonight uh win the prize so um yeah <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to it either but <laughs> but i get your point i do get your point absolutely yeah. um what kind of food well, you kind of like in a way answer that, but let me see if there's more into it. What kind of food do you go for when you need of a treat? Say you want to treat yourself. Tonight's the night that you're going to take the piss and you're going to order whatever. Is there anything specific that you really like and it's maybe not even healthy that you're like, you know what, I can get away sometimes with this? And that's one of those things that, you know, me trying to be a vegetarian, that's one of those things when all those... Um, Things go overboard when all those, uh, you know, good, mm. good, good. Uh, how do you say that? Good resolutions go overboard, and that's what we have here in the Netherlands. It's called a kapsalon, and kapsalon is a literal translation for barber shop, and it's uh, it's shawarma based, you know, kebab, that mm -hmm. kind of thing, and it's with French fries and kebab on top of it, and then some lettuce and some tomatoes, a little bit of healthy stuff, and then cheese, and that goes into the oven. And then some garlic sauce and some uh, uh, spicy sauce on top of it. And man, that's the, that's the perfect um, food for when you're a little bit uh, tipsy. Mm -hmm. you know <laughs> it sounds I mean. amazing. And it yeah, sounds amazing. I think I've never had that. Junky, super junk food. But once in a while that can be, oh man, that's the best. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Um, what are you reading at the moment? You might be reading more than one book, but if so... What are you reading at the moment? I just, I'm just going to get it. It's, uh, I'm, I'm reading the book Letting Go of the Person You Used to Be by Lama Surya Das. It's uh, from the author of Awakening the Buddha Within. And it's, um, I only read like six pages so far, but it's about, uh, yeah, it says here on the book of lessons on change, loss and spiritual transformation. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been reading, and I've, I'm reading The Happiness Project by, uh, what's her name, Gretchen Rubin, I think. What's her name? Yep. Yeah. yeah, so a little bit uh, into the self-help uh, things. Yeah, I don't, you know what, I don't like the... 
the way that those books are described as self-help because self-help sounds like oh i'm in need of help do you know what i mean i am facing those issues it, can, it, it could be, it can be true for a lot of people but but in many ways i think those books they they all share because i really like uh self-help books as well myself and i think that they just have uh like good content positive content you know it might not be exactly your cup of tea the message of uh, a specific book but they are they are all coming from a very positive place aren't they yeah yeah true true and yeah, they, you are right it implies that you need help but it's not so much that you know i've been i've been struggling with a depression like two years ago mm. and maybe that's why i'm still a little bit into this uh corner of the bookstore if you know what i mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah you know this book is how i mean 220 pages and maybe if you if you uh compress all the things that are useful for you maybe it's like five pages that are mm -hmm. useful for you but on the other hand you know it's, it's, even if you take just one or two things out of each book which uh, adds a little bit to your life then then I think that uh, it's a good revenue it's of worthwhile. reading it. Exactly. Rude, my friend, this has been great. My goodness, yeah, I mean, a, we... Great conversation. Thank you so much. Beautiful conversation. Beautiful conversation. Amazing. I mean, uh, funny how we toured for like a month last year in Europe, but then, you know, touring people, it's just like, it's just like you said, uh, it can be uh, so boring backstage, but... But, but that's for the musicians because, you know, people working behind the musicians are always busy running around, you know, doing things. And um, for the artists, it can be a little bit boring. But it's funny because people have this idea that, you know, it's all about sex, drugs and rock and roll. And it actually can be the extreme opposite of that yep. <laughs> backstage. Um, it's I always find that. I, I'm sure you do get that as well because I have, uh, like, I have a big, obviously a big, uh, a chunk of friends that are uh, musicians and artists that work in different parts of of the artistic industry, not necessarily music or even rock. But then there's another bunch of friends that uh, have no idea of this world. They they've never been in a band. They never played any instruments. They never toured. And then and then you come to them and they're like, oh my god. So yeah, you're going on tour. So that's gonna be super much fun, right? You're gonna be drinking beers every day and and going crazy every day. I'm like, mate, <laughs> do, you, do you do you really do you have no understanding of what I do? I don't even have one single beer you know during yeah. it, it is work on my particular uh, uh, job role you know as, as as tour manager and yeah. and people have a completely different view about that which is really interesting you know and and i have that sense that people never really believe me you know when i say that there's no craziness happening trust me <laughs> yeah true and then and then this uh, new documentary or this new movie the dirt by motley crew is being released on netflix and everyone watches it and then all the work that we have been trying to do to, uh, you know, to convince people that it's absolutely not the case, then this movie comes out and everybody's like, you see, you've exactly. been lying, you've been lying. <laughs> it is like this. No, man, there was 80s. It just doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't happen anymore. Even, even if you wanted to, it wouldn't happen like that. No. But but everything has changed so much. The industry has changed so much. So many things that used to be cool, they are not cool anymore. And people literally don't see it. Uh, uh, it's just not cool anymore. Like sometimes, you know, even the fact that you might be drinking 
one beer that depending on the people that are around you that might not even come across as as as, as a good thing you know yeah. depending on your on your on your on your position within the organization you're working with so it's it's really like the very opposite of what that movie portrays uh, it's a fun movie but uh, that's long gone that definitely doesn't uh, happen uh, yeah, exactly. i enjoyed it i really <laughs> enjoyed watching it but uh, yeah Amazing, Ruth. Thank you so, so much for your time, my friend. Thanks I really, really welcome. appreciate it. I think the conversation was really, really good. I think it's, we, we just did a great podcast here. And I'm sure that uh, down the line, down the road, we, we'll be talking again. We'll be doing another podcast. I wish you all the best. Have an amazing time on the upcoming dates that you have on tour this summer. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you at some point soon. Yeah, man. It'll be great. Vegan pizza in, uh, in London. Perfect. Sounds like a date to me. Yeah, man. Great. Good stuff. Thanks, Ruth. You're very welcome. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation, this podcast, as much as I did doing it. So, if that's the case, please do follow on Instagram at RollercoasterCarl, myself at Carl Casagrande, on Twitter, same thing, Facebook, same thing. Uh, do subscribe do subscribe on iTunes subscribe on Spotify that's very very much appreciated thank you and have a great great day cheers bye bye